0: All right. Well, good morning again. Glad you've joined us for worship through song, through communion, uh, through generosity, and now uh, through God's Word. Um, We look forward to continuing our series on the book of Acts this morning. Uh, the book of Acts. And this morning, uh, we actually want to do something a little different than we normally do. We're actually going to start our sermon with a point of application. A lot of times that kind of comes after you talk about the Word, uh, but we want to start out by talking about how you can apply God's worth, Word to your life, a practical, hands-on way that you can apply what we've been learning in the book of Acts uh, right here this morning. And so... Uh, Acts 2.42, this is a verse we talked about a couple weeks ago. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So one thing that if you haven't noticed it yet, I hope you start noticing it after this morning, that in the book of Acts, a recurring theme, a a unifying theme, a, a powerful theme is the theme of prayer. Okay. It comes up over and over and over again from chapter one, chapter two, you see it chapter three, chapter four, we see them praying for boldness. Uh, chapter six, we see, uh, Stephen crying out in prayer. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, just over and over and over again, when God works it's through his people's prayers. And so this morning, uh, we have this resource that we want to put into your hands. And so every family, I believe every family unit, uh, should have a book, uh, in their row. If you didn't get one or maybe if you have two families combined who are sitting together, there's more in the office or you can look around and grab one off of some unoccupied chairs. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about this book. So I feel like I'm doing a little sales right here now. But let me tell you why we wanted to put this book in your hands. Number one, it's like I said, it's timely. It goes right along with the book of Acts. And we want to give you a tool that helps you put into practice exactly what the apostles were doing in the early church. And that is lifting up uh, everything in in prayer. And so this is a tool that we believe will help you do that. It's a tool for prayer. Second reason we want to do this, uh, why we believe it's timely to do this, is we live in some uncertain times. I'm not sure how many of you have noticed that. Um, I you know, again, a year ago when I arrived at this church, I never would have thought I'd have to look out and see a group full of people, a room full of people wearing masks in order to stay safe. So that's one thing that's uncertain. COVID. Um, we have a lot of political unrest. Uh, we have a lot of just societal unrest. Um, and on top of all those things, uh, just the anxiety that goes with it. So the uncertain times we live in right now, I think, should lead us not to despair or to panic um, or to throw a fit. But I think they should lead us to turn to God in prayer. Um, And this is something we said at the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, is that we want to be looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so looking to him, we believe that prayer is one way you can do that. And so that's another reason we wanted to give you this tool. And so you might say, well, why this book? Of all the books on prayer, why this one? Um, There's a lot of other good ones, uh, but there's a couple things about this book that made us want to put this in your hands. And the first one is this. You'll notice the subtitle of the book is praying scripture back to God, praying scripture back to God. If you've never done that before, then this is going to be a really good, exciting new experience for you. If you've been doing that for years, then this is just a great tool to help you grow in that way. I think praying scripture, speaking God's language back to him in prayer, uh, I think is a biblical thing to do. And it's also a really practical thing. Sometimes I don't know how many of you, I'm a pastor. Okay. And so I pray and I'm a believer. I'm praying. And sometimes I start thinking, did my prayer today sound just like my prayer yesterday and the day before that and the day before that? And, and you start feeling like my prayers all sound the same. Um, well, this thing, and when you pray Scripture, it gives you a variety of things to pray for, a variety of ways to thank God. How about that? When you think, I need to thank God, and, and you feel like you're just kind of saying thank you for the same thing over and over again, Opening up the words of Scripture provides so many things to thank God for. His His character, his actions, and then it leads into thanking him for what you've seen him do in your life. So we think this will be a great tool for you. Um, and our hope is this. Um, it'll be habit-forming, not just something that you take home and put on the shelf or on the table or and just leave it. We want this to be a tool that you use over and over again. And so as a, as part of that, we want to kind of call our church family to a three month season of prayer. And I'll kind of show you how that works here in the book in just a second. But basically to spend, uh, the next three months using this book as much as you can so that we're all praying through the same thing at the same time and just lifting up, uh, not only Trinity Church, but just, uh, the church in general that God uses this season of world history as an opportunity to really advance his gospel, just like he did in the early church uh, when the church was founded. Uh, Just so much unrest, so much change, and God used it in a powerful way along with the prayers of his people. So with that being said, uh, I want to show you a couple things. If you have your bulletin, you see there's a couple things in there, an insert. If you'll flip that insert over to the back side, it shows you just a couple ways that you can use uh, this book of prayer, this handbook to prayer. And one is we want to use the daily prayer guide. We're going to go over that in a second, talk about how that monthly prayer guide works. The second thing is you can use this to pray by yourself. Uh, over the last few weeks since I got my copy, I want to say this has enriched my prayer life uh, and it's actually enriched, I think, just my walk with God. And so it's a great tool, not only for prayer, but to help draw you closer to God, um, But also pray with somebody. Maybe not every day, um, but just find someone who you can meet with and and say some of these prayers together. Pray scripture back to God. I would encourage you to use it every day, like try to make this a habit in some way, even if you're not able to do the entire guide for that day, at least do part of it, just a little section of it so that you're praying scripture back to God on a daily basis. And then uh, the last thing down there, you'll see that we're going to be putting more information out over the days ahead about how this book can be used in the life of our church, how we can use this handbook To guide our prayers and one of those will be in our home groups that we've just started up by the way We have three of those starting this week Excited to see the community that begins to come out of those And this will be a part of the prayer that we hope happens in some of those groups as well All right, so what's the main way we can use this book? Um, Let me show you a couple of slides here So if you'll look if you have a book in your hands or if you can look on with somebody else there uh, Shortly into the book, you'll notice that at the top it says like first month day four uh, so, if you can turn to that page in your in your guide, uh, you'll see, uh, or first month day one, uh, you'll see kind of how this works. Um, the the author of this book, his name's Ken Boa, tried to pattern each daily prayer after the Lord's prayer. Uh, when his when Jesus' disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray," he said, "Our Father who art in heaven." Hallowed be thy name. And he prayed the Lord's Prayer. And there's a couple different things in there, such as adoration, um, confession. You'll see, like, all these different themes that come up in the Lord's Prayer. And so he tries to guide us through those things. So if you look at that, it says, like, uh, first month, day one. So for the purposes of Trinity Church... First month is going to be October. Okay. So we're already on day four. So you got behind by four days because I didn't give it to you till today. Uh, but don't worry about that. If you get behind, just pick up with whatever day we're on. So today is day four and I would encourage you to start with that. So you've got, uh, day one. It goes through adoration, confession. Um, the next, or here's a little bit of a close-up of that. If you can't see it in your, in your prayer guide, um, hopefully you can read that on the screen. I can't read that without glasses, but just a little bit of a picture of what we've got here. Um, you'll notice then there's also a renewal, petition, intercession, affirmation, and then lastly, a closing prayer, uh, each day. So how do we do this as a church family? Um, you'll also notice in your, in your bulletin, we gave everybody a worship, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry a bookmark a bookmark and so you can use this to mark your place in the book If you want to you can just use this to mark your place in your bible But here's just a number of things that you can pray for our church family Um, You know, these are actually the four vital areas areas the four key areas of ministry That we do as a church worship community discipleship and mission And so there's some things you can use to pray for your church as you use this prayer guide Um, one, uh, one last thing I want to do kind of before we move on in our service this morning, and that would be, um, if you're able to look there at, uh, the first month, day one, if you've got that in front of you, uh, for those of you who can actually see that right now, uh, either on the screen or on the, uh, on the book in front of you, I'd like for us to actually say that prayer together. This is a prayer of adoration as we continue in worship through God's word. I want us to just read, uh, these words together. And so, um, if you will, uh, let's just pray uh, these words and we'll say amen and then we'll continue with the sermon. So this is adoration. It says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will now fear you, O God, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen. So let that be the first prayer you say out of this prayer book. And my prayer is that God uses our prayers in the days ahead. This is a tool that just helps you build habits of prayer as we go forward as a church family. And so again, just a little point of application to begin our next message on the book of Acts. Uh, and I would just encourage you to be in prayer as much as you possibly can. So today we are going to continue our series, and we're going to actually be in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. But before we get there, uh, Miguel preached last week on Acts 3 and 4. And so I want to talk just for a second about what was happening in chapters 4 and 5. So the first two chapters, really the first three chapters of Acts, you see uh, Jesus ascending to heaven. He goes back to heaven. He gives his disciples a task. He gives them the mission. You will be my witnesses. Tell the world about me. Tell the world about Jesus. And then he goes to heaven, and he leaves them. And guess what? The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and the church begins to explode. Uh, thousands upon thousands of people are coming to know Jesus, coming to know him as their Savior. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So more and more people are coming to know that. Well, we run into some problems in Acts chapter 3. First of all, the disciples are healing people. Things are going great. People are coming to Jesus. But then the religious leaders begin to get upset. And so what you see in Acts chapter four and five is you see opposition from the outside, and and in this case, actually from religious leaders in the church or in the in the temple. Uh, So opposition from religious leaders, but we also see in chapter five there begins to be some threats from the inside. And so there's this whole story of chapter five. If if you get a chance to read it today, the story of Ananias and Sapphira this couple that uh, basically lies to God and then God strikes them dead. And you might say, well, that's harsh. Why would God do that? And I think God is making a point there at the beginning of the church to say disobedience is serious. Uh, you might think God doesn't care. God does care. He doesn't kill every person who lies, but he makes a point in this story to show that disobedience and sin is serious. And I would say that threat from within, um, another way we can describe that is that we had people inside the early church who were wearing masks. Okay, uh, Ananias and Sapphira had this mask on, and they didn't want anybody to see they were lying, so they put out a false appearance. Uh, and and God says that's dishonest. Um, you're you know the punishment there is going to be death for you guys. And so uh, the threat from within. You move on to the uh, chapter 6, and guess what? We again have opposition from the l- religious leaders. And what we're going to see is that the opposition today results in the martyrdom of Stephen, the death of Stephen. Um, and so I think I can say Stephen in Spanish. It's Esteban, is that right? Am I saying that right? Uh, so, uh, so we're gonna be talking about Stephen. So actually over the next four weeks, uh, we're gonna kinda change track in Acts a little bit. We're gonna be looking at a, a different character for each of the next four weeks. Key characters in the book of Acts. So today we're gonna talk about Stephen. Uh, next week we're gonna talk about Philip, the evangelist. Uh, what a title for a, for a person. Uh, the next week after that we're gonna talk about Cornelius when the gospel comes to the Gentiles, uh, for which we can all be thankful. Uh, and then, uh, the fourth week, we're we're going to talk about Saul. Uh, we actually get introduced to him today, but we'll be talking about Saul four weeks from now. So we're going to look at four characters in four weeks. The first of those is today, Stephen the martyr. So today we really want to answer three questions in our message, three questions. And I actually think these are our three questions that you could ask, not about Stephen, not about uh, just the apostles. We could actually ask these questions of ourselves, couldn't we? Number one, encounter. How did Stephen encounter Jesus? We're going to unpack that from the text. But think about this in your own life. How did you encounter Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus? And how have you responded to him? That's the first question. The second question is a question of action. How did Stephen serve Jesus? What kind of action did he take to serve him? And so you could ask yourself that question. If you know Jesus, how are you serving Jesus today? And then the third question, what was the result? How did God use Stephen to change the world? We're going to see over the next four weeks that God is the one who changes the world. But guess what? He takes his people and uses them in a powerful way through his Holy Spirit to do his work. And so that's our prayer. That's our question we want to ask this morning is, God, how do you want to use me to change the world? One life at a time, beginning with my life, beginning with your life. So those are the questions we're going to be asking this morning. We're going to start with that first one, with this idea of the encounter. How did Stephen encounter Jesus? So we meet Stephen for the first time in Acts chapter 6. Now, Stephen is actually one of those people that I would say is one of the key characters, one of the key figures in the book of Acts because of what happens to him. We're going to talk about that today. But he only gets mentioned in two chapters of Scripture throughout the whole Bible really Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, and then his story's over. His part in the story is over. But guess what? His results carry on long after his life ends. And so uh, I want to introduce you to Stephen. We're going to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. Uh, so just follow along in your Bibles as I read uh, these verses to you. So Acts 6, 1 through 7, it says this, now in these days, When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus and Nicanor, and Taman, and Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So this is the introduction to Stephen. So just a little bit of background from those verses. Did you notice what happened there in verse 1? There was a complaint by the Hellenists that arose against the Hebrews. And so who are the Hellenists? The Hellenists are Jewish people who speak the Greek language. Uh, you all have probably heard the Hellenic or Pan-Hellenic uh, word uh, to talk about sororities and fraternities, the Greek society. So this, these are the Hellenic Jews, the people who speak Greek. And, and what we have here... Is a, uh, what we really have here is an example of systemic racism in the church. It's already happening. Uh, people don't change much over time, right? There's always that temptation to look at people who are different than you and treat them differently than you want to be treated. And so what we have is the Jewish believers were not helping the Greek believers, the widows who needed help. And Paul, or not Paul. So then, uh, the apostles say, "This is not right. We need to be loving each other equally, with the same kind of love." The gospel cuts across all races, all uh, all genders, all state statuses of life. The gospel is for everyone. And so, if we're going to help the Jewish believers, we need to help the Greek-speaking believers as well. Uh, and so we see this happening. And guess what? The church addressed it immediately. And they said, we are going to appoint people to help with this. Did you notice the names of the people who were appointed? Stephen was the first one in the list. But every one of those names was actually a Greek name. Um, and so they appointed people who would be familiar with the issue and who would know the people who needed help. Uh, and they solved the problem or began to solve the problem. The reason I mentioned that idea of, of racism in the church um, You know, again, I think humans have this tendency wherever we are. We have to check ourselves uh, to say, am I giving preferential treatment? Not just on race. Maybe it's based on financial status or whatever. God says, don't play favorites. The gospel is here and God's love is equal for all. Don't play favorites. And so that's the problem that was going on. This is where we meet Stephen. He's one of these characters that's mentioned, one of these men who's mentioned who's going to help solve this problem. So how do what do we know about Stephen? I think our first question, like we said, is how did Stephen encounter Jesus? Well, I would say it was, it's really two simple things it tells us here in Acts chapter 6. One is he encounters Jesus through faith, and the second is that he encounters Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So what do we mean by those? If you look at uh, Acts 6, verse 5, it says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. What does faith mean? How does how does Stephen embrace Jesus through faith? We don't actually have a story for Stephen where it tells us here's the moment he met Jesus or the moment he trusted Jesus. We're going to see that with Cornelius. We're going to see that with Saul. But we don't have that for Stephen. All we know is that he did trust Jesus. He encountered Jesus through faith, which means that he said, I know that there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men except Jesus. He is the one who can save me. So he trusted Jesus with his entire heart. He said, I can't save myself. Keeping all the rules won't save me. Being a Jew won't save me. I know it's only Jesus. So he, it says he's full of faith. And then it also says he's full of the Holy Spirit. Again, a little later in verse 8, it says, uh, Stephen was full of grace and power and doing great wonders and signs among the people. It says later on that he was full of wisdom full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? What we see in Acts 2 is that anyone who comes to know Christ is then filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They now have peace with God for all eternity, and God says, I will live inside you. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. If you've trusted Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Read Romans 8. It talks all about this process of the Spirit living inside you. So Stephen encountered Jesus through faith and through the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, I think, our takeaway from just that fact of Stephen's life, the fact that he did encounter Jesus, is this, embrace Jesus. That's exactly what we see Stephen doing. He trusted him through faith. And so the question this morning, as you look at the life of Stephen, is have you trusted Jesus? Have you encountered him through faith, believing that he is the only one, who can pay for your sins. If you haven't done that, trust him today. There's no better day than today to do that. And a second question then would be, is are you walking with him? Uh, John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. That's another way of saying, be filled with me and stay in, in relationship with me. So are you abiding with him? Are you walking with him? Galatians five sixteen and Galatians five twenty five. These are two verses that talk about walking in step with the spirit. So it's this idea of you walk through life, taking one step at a time uh, with the Holy Spirit, living life the way God has designed it to be lived. And so God says, if you've embraced Jesus, you've trusted him, now you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, walk with him. Continue to embrace him uh, as you walk through life. So that's the first question. But the second question is, is a question of action. How did Stephen serve Jesus? Cause you see, you know, the book of Acts is not called the book of neutral, is it right? It's not the book of inaction, it's the book of action. That's literally what the word Acts means, uh, in, in the Greek. It's this action that happens. Now it's God's action, but he's working through people. And so how did Stephen serve Jesus? A couple different ways I want to point out this morning. The first one is this, is we know he was faithful in his character. Faithful in his character. He was faithful in every little step of life to to practice godly character, the way that God lays it out in Scripture. How do we know that? Chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. In other words, he had a good reputation. Everybody knew that what he said, he did. They knew that he followed the way of Jesus. And so he was faithful in his character. He had a good reputation. How else did he serve Jesus? This is a big one. It says that he was faithful in word and in deed. And how do we know that? If we kind of unpack the rest of these two chapters, uh, we see uh, in verse 8 of chapter 6, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So he was doing miracles. He wasn't just taking care of those uh, widows. He was out there proclaiming Jesus and doing miracles and signs. And at this point in the church, God gave the Holy Spirit and gave power for those things to happen. And what are signs there for? Well, a sign, a sign is like something that signifies something, right? The same the word sign comes from the word signify. And so it signifies Jesus. It's pointing people to Jesus. These miracles and signs and wonders pointed people to Jesus. The one who could heal them, not just of their illness or their blindness or their lameness. He could heal them from their sins. And so Peter's or uh, Stephen is doing these things. He's full of grace and power, doing signs, powerful and faithful in word and in deed. So we see it in deed, but we also see it in his words. And so if you look at uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, let's read these. It says, some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen... And of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they tried to dispute with him, but God gave him the gift to be able to to reason with them and say, no, Jesus is the only way. What happens then? So he's out there proclaiming Jesus. It starts upsetting these people. What happens then? Chapter 6, verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, and they brought him before the council. Verse 13, they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this place and this law. In other words, they set him up in a kangaroo trial, if you will. Uh, It's a fake trial. They bring in false witnesses to try to prove that he's guilty so that they can get rid of him. You know, this is actually the third trial we find in the book of Acts. Uh, back in chapter 3 and 4, uh, the the Jewish leaders bring the the apostles in and they put them on trial. And they say, okay, well, you, what you're doing, we don't like it, but we're going to warn you, you need to stop. Okay, That's chapter 3. Chapter 4, they bring them in again and they put them on trial again. And they say, we really don't like what you're doing. You need to stop. And we're going to whip you and flog you uh, and then turn you loose. And that's what they do. Well, here's the third trial for Stephen. And they again tell him, we don't like like what you're doing. We're going to bring in false witnesses to make sure this goes down the way we want it to. And it ends up resulting in his death. But before we get there, we see that he was a changed person. Look at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And there's a lot of debate about what that means. But I think at the end of the day, they could see that he was different. Okay, he was different. Going back to Acts chapter 4, it says they looked at these people, these believers, and they could tell that they had been with Jesus. And the same thing is true for Stephen. These people could see that he had been with Jesus. He was different. And he was faithful to proclaim what God asked him to proclaim. Well, what does he proclaim? We're not going to go into detail on this, but Acts chapter 7 actually contains Stephen's sermon. This is the longest speech in the book of Acts. The longest speech. And so we're just going to summarize it. Um, And basically what what Stephen says is, uh, I want you to look at God's actions throughout Israel's history. And I want you to look at God's people's actions throughout Israel's history. In fact, that's a good way to look at all of Scripture. Show me what it says about God. What does this passage say about God? And then what does it say about people and how they respond to God? And you can learn a whole lot from any passage of Scripture if you ask those two questions. So what happens? uh, That first section in Abraham's time, it says that God calls the people. Chapter 7, verse 3. And he said to him, to Abraham, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. So Abraham does this. Abraham is this obedient person who responds by faith. God calls him and says, come and be my people. Next section of the speech of the sermon, it's Joseph's time. So God says his people go away in a time of famine. In fact, God's people are in danger. But guess what? God sends Joseph ahead of them, this special person in Genesis who rescues them and provides food to preserve God's people. It's a miracle and god says i'm here to save you and rescue you Even though the famine could have killed you look i've provided this person named joseph Who's going to save you and rescue you and provide food for you Well, that's wonderful That's in verses 9 and 10. Then we get to moses's time. So god's people are in egypt and they're made slaves They're made slaves. And so what happens? Stephen recounts he says this is one of the most amazing moments in israel's history. You were slaves in egypt And God sent this person named Moses to lead you out of slavery. God sent this person named Moses. And so what happens? Chapter 7, verse 35. It says, uh, Moses led them out. And then it says, verse 35, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent forth as both a ruler and a redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush. In other words, they said God sent this person. And skip down to verse 39. What happens right after the Israelites leave Egypt? After they've been miraculously set free? Verse 39, it says, Our fathers refused to obey him, but they thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying, Make us gods out of gold. So they rejected the God who saved them from slavery. Which then brings us, he talks about David and Solomon also, but then that brings us to the current time of Stephen. And this is the conclusion of his sermon. And he says to the people, God has been faithful throughout history. God's been calling. He's been redeeming. He's been saving. He's been pursuing. He's been sending messengers. He's been offering his people salvation for thousands of years. But what have God's people been doing? They've been rejecting, rebelling, They've been killing his messengers. And that's exactly what you're doing right now. Look at the end of chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. You stiff-necked people. This is what Stephen says to the people. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and yet did not keep it. So he gets to the end of the sermon and confronts them and says, you're doing exactly what your predecessors did. When you reject Jesus, you're doing exactly what your ancestors did in rejecting the love of And the salvation that God is offering you through Jesus Christ. He basically says, don't miss it. Y'all, do not miss Jesus. He is the one that God has sent. Well, what do they do to respond? Chapter uh, 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Not going to demonstrate that for you this morning, but... They were really, really angry. And it says, but he, verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then it tells the story here. We're going to read it in just a minute of how they killed him. And so the last thing we see is he's faithful even in his death. Faithful even in his death. Here's a picture of of what one uh, artist believes it might have looked like. And it's interesting to me. Again, it emphasizes, if you look at that picture, you notice the face of Stephen, don't you? He's different than the others. All the other faces are dark and twisted and angry. And Stephen is gazing at his Lord. He's different because he's been with Jesus. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. And they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So what we see here is that Stephen is faithful in his death. He's faithful to forgive like Jesus forgives. And he's faithful to proclaim Jesus even up to his very last breath. How could he endure this? And I, and I think when we think about how could Stephen go through this and be so confident up to the last moment of his life, I think there's a couple things that we see here. Number one is he had a clear picture of his king. He looked up into heaven and God actually gave him a vision. But I think that was motivated by this clear picture of his king that he had been seeing for days already. The risen Jesus. The one who saved him. And he knew that this is the other thing, is that for him, for Stephen, death was not the worst thing that could happen to him. Because when he died, he was going to be with his king. I would say the same to you. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you if you know Jesus. Because you will be united with Jesus, your Savior, forever if you trusted him. And that's why Stephen was able to be faithful, to be a faithful witness up to the very moment of his death. So what's our takeaway here? Is that faith leads to faithfulness. Above all, did you notice that what we see in Stephen's life is he's faithful in character. He's faithful in his words and in his deed. And he's even faithful up to the moment of death to live the way God's asked him to live and to stay true to Jesus. And so we see that strongly, that Stephen served Jesus by being faithful. That brings us to the last question, though, is, is how did God use Stephen to change the world? What results came about? I think what we see clearly uh, in this chapter is that the church multiplies geographically and ethnically. I'm going to read these verses from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, And Saul was sitting there approving of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. So what happens? Stephen's killed, and now the Christians all see, oh, these leaders mean business. We better get out of here before they kill us too. And so they flee. But guess what that does? It spreads the gospel like a virus, <laughs> like a good virus. Um, it kills the disease of sin. And so as these people go out to all the other cities, it says into Samaria and Judea, It's beginning to fulfill what Jesus predicted in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we see here in the book of Acts is the beginning of that second wave. Up till now the whole story has been happening in Jerusalem. But because of what happens to Stephen, now the church scatters, which is actually not the worst thing that could happen to the church either. It scatters and now it multiplies. And so that more and more people in more and more places, which also means more and more races and tribes and tongues and nations, come to know the king of the universe. How did God use Stephen to change the world? Through multiplication, geographically and ethnically. I believe God wants to use us in the same way, to multiply his kingdom and his gospel To the people around us and to the people far away from us. What's our takeaway from this? Really the takeaway from Stephen's whole life. He died. He died. He was buried. That was the end of his life. He's only here for two chapters. Yet we see that God is able to use a faithful life like his far beyond anything we could ever imagine. You know, when Stephen trusted Christ, I'm sure he didn't think he was going to end up being killed for Christ. Nor did he think that his death would result in the multiplication and the wildfire spread of the gospel to thousands upon thousands, millions even. And yet God uses his martyrdom for that purpose. God is able to use a faithful life far beyond anything that you or I could ever imagine. And so in your life, maybe it's little things like your character, what you do when nobody's looking. Maybe it's your words. Faithful to proclaim this gospel, this thing that is true, to tell the truth about Jesus. Or maybe it's in uh, even in your death, to remain faithful in your death. God says, you have no idea how much I can use your faithfulness to spread the gospel. Because see, faith is like a seed. Like a seed that when it's planted, it grows up and produces fruit. Only God can determine what that fruit is going to be. But he says, if you have faith, if you've trusted Christ, abide in me and I promise that you will bear much fruit, just like Stephen did. If you will, just bow with me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your servant, Stephen. God, I pray that we would serve you and be faithful to you in the same way that he was, God, whatever you ask us to do. Father, I pray for your blessing on Trinity Church, God. I pray you'd make us a praying church, uh, and I pray that you would uh, use us to multiply your love. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ever ask or imagine, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, now and forevermore. Amen. Now you are dismissed. Go and make disciples.